Hey y'all, I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 256. And you know what I realized this week? Uh-huh. That my ADHD is so <laughs> bad sometimes. I didn't even finish the story of the cup. And I kept y'all on pins and needles, apparently. It was Cupgate 2023. I, I almost corrected you to 2022. <laughs> so apparently I told this whole story, but never told y'all whether I got the cup for cheap or not. Well, I did. $10. Well, aka 6 because it was 40% off. Yeah. Well, what's so funny is because you were drinking out of it. Mm -hmm. So I could see that you had the cup. So it didn't even dawn on me that you didn't finish it. No. So I was like, oh, we got to tell them this episode because I did post it in the Facebook group because so many people posted being like, what happened with the cup? So I posted a picture of the cup, but I was like, "Eh, not everybody's in Facebook. So we should probably mention that I did get the cup. Well, since we're updating people... If you remember, uh, like, I don't know, a month ago, I was like, my feet are in dire need of a pedicure. Mm -hmm. Me and Tiffany did go get pedicures this week. Did you? Mm Mm-hmm. These bitches. Where'd y'all go? (laughs) Tuesday. Where was I? Work. Uh, Every time I get a pedicure, I'm like, I need to keep this up. But um, they're expensive. Fucking expensive. You know? And so I'm like, you know what? If anyone wants some Fred Flintstone feet pics, let me know. Hit me up. (laughs) Somehow I've gotten on this side of TikTok with people, I don't even know what the disorder is, but it's like a disorder where their feet callous incredibly bad that every so often they literally have to like shave it off of their feet and sometimes hands. What? Like on one of them, it was even a baby that it was on their hands and their feet. And then I ended up with this girl with it on their feet. And I'm like, how, how did I end up on this side of TikTok? I watched one video and I guess I watched the whole thing. And now I've seen like four videos of it. Holy shit. Okay, so I Googled it, and it's called palmoplantar keratoderma. That's a mouthful. If I said it right. But basically, it's like a rare genetic disorder where it's like excessive epidermal thickening on the palms and the soles of the feet. Gosh. Uh, Thank you, (laughs) UpToDate.com. Also, I'm pretty sure if I say the word cruise one more time at work, they're all going to murder me. (laughs) It's literally all I talk about, how excited I am for this cruise. That's okay. But my brother-in-law that's going with us on the cruise, I guess he's in like a cruise Facebook and somebody posted what the dinner menu was that night. So Colby and I were going through it and I was like, well, you can get, I think, two entrees. And he was like, what? And so like I asked in our little group chat, like how many entrees, how many appetizers and all that? And my brother-in-law was like, you can get two entrees and then however many appetizers and desserts you want. And Colby was like, what? (laughs) He's like, I'm going to be so fat. (laughs) (laughs) He is so excited about the food. I I mean, me too. Don't get me wrong. I said, I'm going to eat until I can't eat anymore. Yes. Got us an electric bidet on the way. Oh, God. (laughs) Y'all take it to a whole nother level. (laughs) Well, if we were just going to be in a regular hotel, we'd take our actual bidet and hook it up to their toilet. Oh, I know. But we I don't know how that water system works there, so we bought an electric one. Blame Creep Mom. She created this monster. <laughs> oh, well, tell them about the ball. Oh, yeah. It was fun. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be on a shirt. <laughs> So technically, we went to like the cocktail party. The ball is the part before that's like boring, where it's like, this is the queen. And she walks and she walks and she walks. This is the court. Like it's watching paint dry is more fun. So we didn't go to that part. So the cocktail party starts at 10. That's ridiculous. P.M. I am long asleep by 10 o'clock usually. So I was already tired. Like I was literally yawning. (laughs) You remember that band that comes here sometimes called the Molly Ringwalds? 
Yeah. They're like an 80s cover band type thing. They're kind of big in the South, but they're like, you know, okay, that's not how they do it. And I'm like, um, you know. Oh, that's who was there? Yeah, that's who was playing in the room we were in. I was like, is that just a random reference? No, no, no. That was the band that was in the room we were in. Look, Colby and I aren't big drinkers, and Colby for sure isn't. I think I've maybe seen him drunk, maybe once, and it wasn't even drunk. He was just like, had a really good buzz going on. And he was horny, so you knew he was drunk. When was that? Oh, I don't know. That's just normally, you know, oh. you drink and you get horny. Oh. Well, is that not normal? <laughs> no, I mean, it is for me. Okay. <laughs> we were sitting across the table from each other, and you know, so I couldn't hear him. We couldn't hear each other. So he texts me, and he said... My tongue is really thick. And I, of course, I go straight to, we got to go to the ER. He's allergic to whatever he drank. <laughs> and I was like, like, you're drunk or you're allergic? And he was like, I'm drunk. And I was like, oh, God, thank God. But it was fun. And we left early, of course. Early? I mean, you had to get there at 10. That's, oh, that's late. But my sister said that they were like literally one of the last ones to leave the convention center. Oh, my God. And they got home at three. And I was like, no shot. No. Mm-mm. No, thank you. And because it was like super late Saturday night in New Orleans, that lift to get home was almost $50. Ridiculous. Well, home, hotel, whatever. Our hotel room smelled like an Afro Man concert. And when I tell you, it made me have such a headache because like it was so strong the whole time we were there. And ours was the only room that smelled like that because I went to multiple other people's rooms and I was like, oh, we got to go. Because like I was kind of hung over just because I didn't have enough water. So my head was hurting. And then that on top of it, I wanted to go shop a little bit while we were there. And I was like, we got to go home. I can't can't handle this. Y'all were home like super early. Mm -hmm. Well, tell them that you talked to the manager again at the hotel. (laughs) That's a new thing for you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when I went to check out, well, first of all, when we checked in, I heard him say like, we're almost out of keys for the room. So I was like, well, let's go turn ours in so they can reuse, you know, because usually you just leave them in the room or whatever. I was like, well, let's turn them in and check out. And so when I went to check out, I just said like, hey, just want to let you know the room really smells like pot because also I didn't want to get charged because they thought it was us smoking in there because smoke pot all you want to. But like, if you're not allowed to smoke inside somewhere, like don't smoke pot inside. Like it's other people's rooms that you're messing up. You know what I mean? I absolutely don't give a fuck that somebody was smoking pot, but like, same with like a cigarette smoke. And this is coming from an ex-smoker. I'm not going to smoke in a hotel room that I'm not supposed to smoke in. And the ventilation system just isn't good. No, because yours is wafting up to me. So I was like, hey, just FYI, like our room really smelled like weed like the whole time. It was bad when we got there. It was bad this morning. Like, I just wanted to let you know. And she's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry about that. Like, I'll tell housekeeping, like, we'll get it taken care of. You know, I was like, okay. And then somebody else walked up. And so it like became a conversation. And she was like, oh my God, that sucks. You know, yada, yada, yada. I was like, well, I just didn't want them to think it was us either and get charged for something we didn't do, you know? And lady was like, I'll add 2,000 points to your Marriott rewards for the inconvenience. And I was like, oh shit, okay, thank you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you probably have to have a million to get a free night, but I'm like, man, thanks. The next thing you're going to do is send food back. No, I don't think I can do that. (laughs) I can't either. Well, that's a lie. If it's your food, I'm going to send it back in a second. If it's my food, can't do it. I've only sent something back if it's like inedible. Like if if it's raw or, you know, something like that. I've never been like, oh, I don't like this. No, me neither. Mm -mm. Oh, that's a lie. One time we did it in uh, Memphis. Well, they asked because we weren't eating it. Remember? Yeah. We were like, well, no. We don't like it. And so then we got hamburgers, I think. Yeah. That's when Tiffany wanted to go to Memphis for her 30th to check off a freaking, uh, what are those called? Tugboats? No. Riverboat. Riverboat. She wa- the, Tiffany, on her bucket list was a riverboat ride. She's an old soul, y'all. So we did it. I'm like, 
And you wanted to do the one in Memphis? Like, why not the one in New Orleans? I don't think she'd ever... Oh, she wanted to go to Elvis Presley's house. Oh, that's right. Is she an old soul? She is. You hated... Uh, Elvis's house? Yes. What's it called? Graceland. Thank you. Down here, it's Graceland. Oh, okay. I liked it. You hated it. Yeah. Well, I hated the crowds, and people just didn't go where they needed to go. Also, my thing didn't work, so John Stamos was like True. one room away like True. every time, and I'm like, I'm in with guitars. What's going on? And he's like, this is a sunken den. I'm like, no, it's not. What? I was so surprised, though, when we went outside and, like, his grave was there. Yeah. I don't know why that stunned me so bad. Like, how did I not know that he was buried there? Because we don't really care about Elvis. True. I mean, like, R.I.P., but... <laughs> RIP, but it was hot as fuck over there. Right? I'm like, can we get a little central AC? Can you upgrade this bitch? <laughs> but yeah, I just hate when people don't follow directions. It's like, yeah. go all the way in there. And they're like, and I'll stop right here. Yes. I already have like issues thinking I take up too much room anyway. Yes. And then I can't even see what I need to see. John Stamos is... <laughs> Fucking John Stamos. <laughs> They gave you like iPads that you put over your neck, which also made my neck hot. I know. I'm like, I don't want to wear anything around my neck. No. And then like it like rested right on my tum tum. (laughs) It was glad for Tiffany. Glad for Tiffany. (laughs) Now, the thing I did like was air conditioned and it was all the The uh, cars. cars. Yeah, that was really cool. Man, RIP to his daughter too, though. The the Presleys, they're cursed or something. They just have all died so young. Yeah. Well, we've been talking about celebrations, but we got something else to celebrate. Patriotic! Oh, God. (laughs) Believe in that. (laughs) Went through puberty. (laughs) (laughs) Insert Peter Brady. Remember when he... (laughs) 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 Okay, well, we're just going to roll with that. So, thank you so much, Angelica E. from California. Zoe D. from Iowa. Belinda M. from Oklahoma. Autumn M. from Vermont. Laura E. from Missouri. Kimberly T. from Texas. And Fawn O. from Unsure. So send us your uh, address if you want your stickers and shiz. (laughs) Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. If you want an extra episode a week, plus a shout out, plus a live every month, plus stickers and a thank you note, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Well, before Donna tells her story, we got to talk about bass. And it's spelled B-E-I-S. With a little E over the E. What is bass, you ask? Well, it is luggage, bags, accessories designed to help you travel effortlessly while still looking, you know, she-she fashionable. And if you loved Pretty Little Liars, you know Shay Mitchell, uh, she created this. They sent us each a weekender bag. And on our trip to New Orleans this past weekend, I took my weekender bag and it was perfect because it has this bottom compartment that you can I put shoes my makeup bag that's kind of flat and I was able to put my little beach waver my flat iron all that in there and then jeep 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 that and then keep all that especially dirty shoes separate from my clothes yeah and it has all these awesome pockets that you can be like and I'm gonna zoop that in there and that and that and my poise pads (laughs) (laughs) And it had so much room for me to pack all the clothes that I needed for that trip. Because you know we're over packers. Definitely. And then, you know, you could either carry it or it had a little strap for over the shoulder. And I was able to get so much stuff in that weekender bag because of the zoop, zoop, zoop on the bottom. 
it's a really cool compartment. I'm thinking about doing exactly like you did, but also putting my laptop. You know, when we go to Austin, what color did you get? I got gray. I got black. But see, what's good, though, about that, putting your laptop under there, if you're going through the airport, through like TSA and stuff, you can quickly unzip that little compartment and take it out without having to like dig through all these other bags. Yes. But like we said, they're not just the weekender bags. They have all sizes of luggage. What's so cool, too, is that when you do get the luggage, it's got the 360-degree gliding wheels. Love. Some of them even have a built-in weight indicator. Because if you're like us and you overpack and you're like, am I going over that 50 pounds that I'm going to be charged? Weight indicator. You can get washable bags for your dirty clothes. And like I said, all the pockets for organizing your stuff. I was like, I'm going to put a little panties in there, some socks in there. That also makes it easier to unpack in the hotel, too. For sure. And I've had other bags that I take as a weekender bag, but base is really heavy duty, but still very fashionable. And base already has over 30,000 five-star reviews. I'm kind of jealous of their five-star reviews. So whether you're packing for a quick trip or looking to breeze through the security line, base has your personal items covered. And right now, base is offering our listeners 15% off your first purchase by visiting basetravel.com slash creep. Go to basetravel.com slash creep for 15% off your first purchase. And that is B-E-I-S travel.com slash creep. Don't forget for 15% off your first purchase, B-E-I-S travel.com slash creep and find the perfect base bag for you. Before we get going, this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. It doesn't matter what time of the year it is, your mental health is always important. But it's been rainy and cold and everything here, and that really affects me. It really does have an effect on people's moods, you particularly. (laughs) And when I'm stressed out, overwhelmed, all the things, I make all the wrong decisions. And so I need someone to talk to about it. If you've been thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option because it's convenient, flexible, affordable. It's entirely online. So there's no leaving work, leaving your family, doing whatever to go sit in office, wait for your appointment, then go back to your life. You're able to just online, have your appointment, put your phone or laptop down and go back to whatever you were doing. And sometimes people might not be comfortable talking to someone one-on-one in person because sometimes I get weird if I'm like having to talk to you Mm face-to-face about all my issues. Although you love eye contact, but whatevs. Yeah, but it's not about my deep-seated issues. Yeah, I can appreciate that. But what you do, you're going to go to betterhelp.com slash APC, fill out a brief questionnaire that helps you get matched with a licensed therapist. But sometimes in therapy, you just aren't jiving with that therapist, and that's okay. But BetterHelp makes it so easy to switch therapists at any time for no additional charge, which is really huge. Because no matter how great you look on paper matching, sometimes you just don't jive. I feel like that about Donna a lot. Hey. But I'm stuck with her. I'd have to pay to get rid of her. I'm not cheap. Cheap and easy is how I like to. (laughs) Well, you know, that's what I like about BetterHelp. It's affordable and convenient. Okay, that's a nicer way of saying cheap and easy. (laughs) So if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash APC to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash APC. If you've been thinking about therapy, give BetterHelp a try. All right, for my story, we're going to Saranac Lake, New York. Mine's in New York, too. Holy shit. In Schenectady. 
Say that 10 times fast. You never heard of Schenectady? No. Skinnamarink-de-dink-de-dook. <laughs> okay, you didn't even say that <laughs> no, right. No, I didn't. You got me tongue twisted. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you not watch Law & Order SVU? I do, but I don't I don't know if you just had a different cadence or what. Say it again. <laughs> Schenectady? <laughs> never heard of that. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Well, apparently people not on Law & Order called this the greener side of the Big Apple because it's basically in the middle of the Adirondack Park. It's full of fresh air, nature, and for Mike Todd, it was the perfect place for him to start pursuing his dream. In 2005, Mike started a property development business. He found this big old home in Saranac Lake that needed work, but he was like, this is a diamond in the rough. This was the first property he was going to own and renovate, and he was so excited the day he signed the papers, he began work on it. So the house was split into apartments, and his plan was to renovate each apartment at a time so he could let people move in and he wouldn't be so upside down if it took him longer to renovate than he thought. We've all seen the HGTV shows. It's always something. That is the truth. You start pulling back carpet and flooring and you see that subfloor and it's molded and rotten. I feel like that's a metaphor for me, but okay, thanks. Take it as you will. (laughs) Well, there are three floors here. The first floor had five apartments. Second floor had three. And then the third floor only had one apartment. When Mike went up there, he saw like it was completely gutted. It was more like an attic. It had a shit ton of junk up there. So Mike was like, yeah, that's going to be last. I feel like that's a metaphor for my life. It had a shit ton of (laughs) junk up there. Also, Mike had really sank all of his money into this house, so he moved in while he was renovating, and he lived in one of the apartments. He was working the first night, and he put his drill down beside him for a second, and then when he reached for it, it was gone. So he was like, what the fuck? I just put it right here. And at that point, he noticed the bathroom light was on, and he was like, well, I didn't turn that on. So he went over there, and lo and behold... There was a drill sitting perfectly in the middle of the bathroom floor like he had placed it there. Well, Mike is scratching his head because none of this made sense, but he chalked it up to him being tired. You know, it had been a long day. He had already put in a lot of sweat equity, and this was just day one. But then when he had shaken that weirdness of that event away, he went back to work. He heard something going bump in the night in the hallway, and he said it sounded like footsteps, but he knew he was the only one there. So he got worried that, oh my God, did someone break in? But when he investigated, no one was there. So Mike was like, dude, get a grip, like just finish the work and then go to bed. So he grabbed a saw to continue working and the footsteps started again. Mike was like, okay, this too much. I need to rest. So he called it a day, hit the hay, and yes, I had to run. I knew to not even ask. (laughs) A few days later, Mike had to do some laundry. Because remember, sweat equity, you know his clothes were stinking. Well, the laundry room was located downstairs, and it was right next to the stairs. Mike had just started the washer when he saw someone run out of the corner of his eye. Like, you know, he saw them out of the corner of his eye, run past. That didn't make sense. I completely understood that. Okay. (laughs) So he was like, oh, no, you don't. So he ran up the stairs, too. He chased the footsteps up to the third floor where he cornered whoever, whatever, was in a little closet. He hadn't really seen it go in there, but he heard the door slam shut. 
So he stood there trying to decide if he was going to call the police because someone was trespassing or just open the door because it's probably a kid playing a prank or a wild animal or whatever. Well, Mike crept closer and closer to the door, being as quiet as he could. He turned the knob slowly and pulled the door open quickly. But all of a sudden, there was a pile of junk that fell out of a packed closet. There was no way anything else could have fit in that closet, but he had followed it there. He said that it looked kind of transparent, and it was the shape of a figure, so he thought it was just a person who was running fast, like kind of a blur. He said it darted so quick, he just couldn't get a good look at it. However, there was no one there. Mike didn't believe in the paranormal, so that hadn't even crossed his mind. And this was an old home that was definitely a fixer-upper, so there was bound to be weird noises and shit, right? That's what Mike told himself anyway. He kept working, and after a few weeks, he had one of the apartments complete and ready for a tenant. And that lucky person was a woman named Cynthia Warwick Seiler, I think is her last name. She was in real estate and fell instantly in love with the privacy and the architecture of the home. And Mike didn't tell her anything about the weird footsteps because why would he? He thought it was just, you know, his imagination, a wild animal, whatever. Also, he's got all this money sunk in this place. He's not going to be like, oh, by the by, there's something creepy here. Right. Not going to (laughs) happen. Well, Cynthia had a dog named Buddy, who was really her buddy, went everywhere with her, even down to the laundry room. One night she was down there with Buddy, and while Cynthia was loading the washer, Buddy left her side and hauled tail up the stairs. I don't know why I said it like that, but up the stairs. So she ran up after him all the way to the third floor, to that closet, just like Mike had before. Cynthia said that wasn't like Buddy to run off, so he had to sense something. But she thought maybe it was just like a pest or something, you know? But Cynthia hated that hallway up there, so she didn't stay long. She scooped Buddy up and headed back downstairs. There was always something off with that third floor hallway. Cynthia said it felt colder and angrier than the rest of the house. And Mike said he felt like he was being watched and he would become overwhelmed with anxiety. Now that definitely sounds like my life. (laughs) Same. Fast forward to another tenant, Veronica Montes and her son Ashton. Veronica had previously lived with Ashton's dad, but things weren't working out, so she wanted to get a place of her own. She loved the location of the house, the big yard, the woods behind it, the privacy. She was just like, this is going to be a perfect place for Ashton to play and grow up in. Because he was like six, you know, like Mm -hmm. perfect to play out in the yard, all the things, whatever kids do. And this was the fresh start they needed. But one day when they were sitting at the table in the kitchen, the room's temperature drastically dropped. There was a definite chill in the air. And that's when Ashton turned to his mom with a shocked expression. And she was like, what's wrong? And Ashton whispered, there's someone breathing on my neck. Oh, nope. Don't like that. But Veronica had felt coldness too. And so she's like, it's just a breeze. Like, I don't know what happened, but like, it's just wind. It's fine. Inside though. So no one was really telling anyone else about the weird experiences because they were all just writing them off as random incidents and their minds playing tricks on them. You know the deal. Cynthia had gotten so used to Buddy running up the stairs when she was doing laundry, she just let him stay up there while she loaded her clothes in and then she'd go collect him. But there was one night it just felt different. Cynthia felt like someone was standing right behind her. 
All her hair was standing straight up. All her neurons were firing or whatever. And she could feel breathing. She turned her head to see if someone was behind her. You know, that slow, like just moving your neck to the side. And that's when she saw a man behind her. (laughs) Her fight or flight kicked in and Cynthia flew up those stairs. What she was determined to do, go get her dog. She was not leaving Buddy by himself. So she went up there, scooped Buddy up, ran back down the stairs and straight outside. But when she got outside, she felt the same thing. Like someone was watching her. Someone was so close. And she turned around to look at the house and there were two children in the third floor's window. There was a tall boy and a shorter girl. And something just fell off about him. And Buddy started barking. So Cynthia was like, this is not right. She rushed over to Mike's apartment, told him what had happened, and she just wanted to get clarity if someone was on the third floor because she hadn't thought there was. And Mike's like, no, no one's up there. So Mike's like, okay, I'm going to go upstairs and figure out what's going on. You know, that was a scary trick. I thought you said trick, but trick. Okay, yeah. See, I don't exercise. (laughs) (laughs) He was on the Nordic trick. Guys, we're lame. <laughs> Don't lump me in there with you. No, no, you were. You laugh really hard at that <laughs> dumbass joke. Mike searched the room upstairs, and he said his heart was pounding in his ears. The hair on his body was standing up, and he said the room was freezing. Just then, he saw someone dart in the corner of the room. He heard breathing, and then all of a sudden, things started to become chaotic up there. Things were moving. Something just wasn't right. Mike knew this was not his imagination now. Cynthia had seen something. Now this, it was too much to ignore. Mike had grown up being raised Catholic, so he turned to a priest. Mike said the priest seemed dismissive of it, like, oh, that's not something we handle. But if you're feeling uncomfortable in your home, something inexpensive is to hang some crosses for protection. Wow, thanks for the help. (laughs) So that was simple enough for Mike. Mike's like, okay. How I said Mike twice, it reminded me of that commercial, the mm-hmm. uh, Mike, Geico. Mike, 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 yeah. Mike, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sorry. Well, he went, did just that. He purchased a lot of crosses. The priest probably had some there. And just for nine ninety nine, you can get our special Catholic crosses. <laughs> With like Vanna White, like doing her hand around it. Yeah. Well, he started hanging them and it made him feel better. Kind of like when you tell yourself you're safer with the lights on, even though it doesn't make sense, it just makes sense. Or like the cover over your head when something's in your room. Yeah. 100%. It's like you have some kind of control over it then. But if he thought that was going to fix the situation, he was sadly mistaken. While he was showing one of the apartments to a new potential tenant, Jody Gagnon, she had an experience. Jody instantly fell in love with this apartment. She was amazed by the size of the rooms and had already started to envision herself living there until she was shocked out of her daydream because she felt something touch her leg. I mean, like the fucking whatever it is couldn't wait until she signed on the dotted line and was stuck (laughs) for at least a month's rent. (laughs) She said it felt like someone was holding her leg, like a child would do if they were scared. She looked down, but of course there was nothing there. But Jody pushed that aside. She was like, must have been the wind. You know, who knows? She took the apartment. Again, saying, it's a breeze. I don't know why it's always a breeze, but it's a breeze. 
Yeah, because a breeze wraps around your leg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. She was just like, the potential for this apartment, this is everything I've ever wanted and more. But speaking of a child clinging to someone's leg, Ashton, Veronica's son, had become attached to her. And that was not normal behavior for him. He didn't want to be alone when they were in the apartment. He was always beside Veronica. Well, one night she was preparing dinner and Ashton needed to go to the bathroom. So Veronica was like, okay, go. You're a big boy. You can do it. So Ashton reluctantly went to the bathroom and he hesitantly, you know, like opened the door, started to use the bathroom. He left the door kind of open a little bit, not all the way open, but open, but it closed by itself, which of course startled him. And after he used the bathroom, he was about to bolt out of there. But Veronica had the mom sense and she was like, boy, you better wash your hands. So Ashton was like, yes, ma'am. Stayed, started to wash his hands. But that's when he felt someone breathing behind him again. He could hear it this time. Ashton was sure someone was right behind him. When he turned to look, he was staring face to face with a little boy. Ashton ran out of that bathroom, not even turning off the sink. He told his mom that there was someone in the bathroom. Veronica was kind of over this weird behavior, so she huffed to the bathroom, turned off the water, looked around, and of course found no one there. She told him he probably scared himself with the reflection of the shower or something, you know, like, your mind plays tricks on you. However, that's when one of Ashton's toys, this big red rubber ball. That's literally a song. Is it? Red rubber ball. It's balloon. No, no, it's not. I'm telling you it's red rubber ball. Okay. What is that? Oh, that's like that 99 balloons, whatever. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Who sings about a red rubber ball? That's the song that um, when my parents were in high school, they broke up for like two weeks and my dad dedicated this to her on the radio. Your mom took him back after that? Yeah, they were meant to be. I'll show him a red rubber ball. Mom was a sophomore in high school when they started dating. Dad was a junior in high school. So this was like then, you know? Yeah. Look, when it's meant to be, it's meant to be, man. Why do I say man like that? I don't know. start this? I'm telling you, you always say it like that. But if you don't know that song, you should listen to it because it's a really good breakup song. (laughs) I mean, Dad was savage. Well, that big red rubber ball, it rolled past them because their door was open and it went out to the stairs, but it didn't roll down the stairs. It just stayed right there, teetering on the edge. So Veronica's like, what the fuck is happening? So she slowly approached the ball and reached for it. But right when her fingertips were close, it plopped down to the next step and then the next one. And then after a minute, it bounced all the way down the rest of the stairs. But it wasn't normal. Like normally it would have just like rolled down the damn stairs all at once. But it was like someone had stopped it those times. Yeah. How would it have stopped itself on stairs? Right. I mean, I can't stop myself on stairs. I have to hold on to the rail for dear life with these ankles. (laughs) Well, Veronica couldn't explain it, but she couldn't really believe it either. She just knew that her eyes were playing tricks on her. Or was Ashton really seeing something? Were they not alone in that apartment? Well, back to tenant Jody. She said every month that she lived in that apartment, things just got creepier and creepier. She had gotten to the point that even though she loved the space and everything about the apartment, she didn't love the uneasiness that she felt. One night she was watching TV and she felt someone behind her, which was not plausible because she was on a couch against a wall. But she said it felt like someone exhaled on her neck. 
(laughs) Exactly. Well, then the TV she was watching started to glitch and turned itself off. And in the reflection of the TV, she saw someone or something on the other side of the room. It looked like a man. She said he was tall, at least six feet. And I'm like, oh, is he single? But she got up to see if someone was there. And she watched that black figure walk across the kitchen and into her pantry. Don't be stealing my food. She's expensive right now. <laughs> it is. Anyway, Jody grabbed the knife from nearby and she was ready to attack this man in her pantry. But when she flung the door open, no one was there. Jody wasn't okay with any of this and she was like, final straw. She didn't know if the place was haunted or she was seeing things, but she knew she wasn't doing herself any favors by staying in that apartment and she needed to trust her gut and leave. So she did. And that really affected Mike because he didn't know what to do. Now this is affecting people to the point they're moving out. And you don't mess with people's money. No. He thought the crosses were protecting them, but he found out one night they were not. He was nearing the end of all the renovations and was dog tired from working all day. So he laid down in his bed. While he was drifting off to sleep, he heard those same loud footsteps he heard the first night he was there. They sounded like someone was walking up to his bed from behind. So he stilled himself as much as possible because you know how we all think, if I'm not moving, they won't see me. But that's when Mike started hearing breathing, labored breathing, and he couldn't stand it anymore. He had to look. When he turned his head, he saw a little girl on the other side of his glass door to the bedroom. He was at his wits end because he didn't know what to do. And when you're in that predicament, You do have options, and Mike chose denial. Deny, deny, deny. He had sank all his money into this place, and so he was like, I don't have another option. Anything weird just had to be his imagination. Mike continued on and had finally neared the end of the renovations when his life started looking up. He met his girlfriend. They fell head over heels for each other, and so he had found someone he wanted to share his life with. The house was almost finished. He assured himself things were only going to get better from there. Well, one night, they had went to a play in Lake Placid, and Nicole, his girlfriend, had gotten a headache, so they left at intermission. Who is she, me and Carrie? Because a headache can ruin a night for sure. So when they were leaving, Mike was like, hey, can I swing by the apartments real quick because I had a tenant leave and I need to see the state they left the apartment in. Nicole agreed it was okay, so they stopped at the house to look inside. Mike said it was weird because all the lights were off. Well, they ventured into the apartment and they saw the walls were lined with crosses, not just the ones like how Mike had put above doors or anything. This was like four above a door casing on all the walls. And so they obviously weren't for just decor. They were protection. They both felt the chill in the air. And all of a sudden, Nicole started to cough and gasp for air. She said it was like she wasn't in control of her body. She was being attacked and she could not breathe. She ran outside and Mike, of course, followed behind her. She was still having trouble breathing until she got in the car. Mike was like, let's get the hell out of here. So he started driving. And that's when they saw something or someone in the road. Mike said it looked like a figure, but it was darker than dark. He said it was human shaped, but Nicole said it honestly to her looked like a deer, like had the gait of a deer, but not, it was like a bipedal deer. So like a not deer? Those terrify me. Of all the stories you've done and the not deer is what terrifies you the most? Okay. 
Because I'd be having deer at my house. And what if they're not deer? Well, Mike kept driving towards it because he wanted to get as far from the house as he could. But whatever that was, wasn't backing down. They were basically playing chicken. And the figure lurched towards the car. Mike didn't have time to swerve and they hit it straight on. But when the car made the connection with the figure, it just disappeared. Mike got out to look but couldn't see anything. No trace of an accident or anything. And that was his last straw because whatever was in the house now seemed to be angry and powerful enough to follow them out of the house. And, you know, Mike could take what was happening to him. Then his tenants, you know, he's sad about that. He's stressed about that. But now it's his girlfriend and he ain't taking no more chances. So Mike confided in a friend of his, Cheryl. He describes her as someone who was very spiritual. She believed Mike and told him that she would help him by blessing the home. She lit white candles that she said was for peace, you know, to let the house know they came in peace. They weren't trying to do anything harmful or anything like that. When she did that, she said she immediately felt something was there. And that was kind of a relief for Mike. He's like, okay, I'm not losing my mind. Well, Cheryl started reciting from her Bible for the blessing, but with every word she spoke, she started hearing whispers and breathing, little disembodied voices, and she really couldn't make out what they were saying, but she knew it wasn't good. All of a sudden, Cheryl felt ill and started vomiting right there. Mike couldn't understand what he was seeing, like what is going on, but he knew that she had brought holy water, and so he grabbed some and made the sign of the cross on Cheryl's back. Almost instantly, she was able to breathe again and stopped vomiting. The attack stopped just as suddenly as it had began. Cheryl finished the blessing and the house felt peaceful. Mike was glad that everything had settled down, but why did this happen in the first place? So Mike needed answers and he started researching his property and Saranac Lake in general. Turns out, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, Saranac Lake became known as a place that you could go when you had tuberculosis. His house had been a cure cottage for TB patients. How it all started was with this doctor named Edward Livingston Trudeau. He was like, oh shit, this is a really good place for TB treatment. I wonder if he's related to Justin. Not sure. But he was sick with tuberculosis, moved to the area in 1873, and his health started to improve. And he's like, it has to be from the area's climate, like that fresh mountain air, all the things. So he was like, if this could work for me, it can work for anyone and everyone. Also, like, you know, it was a fucking epidemic at that point, and he could charge. So he founded and built the Adirondack Cottage Sanitarium. So news of this place soon spread and Saranac Lake started being known as the city of the sick because other people started doing these cottages. And what they would do is find these big houses, turn them into apartments and build on porches if they didn't have it. And that's what they called cure cottages. And Mike's house had a huge porch on it because we know from different stories that they believed the fresh air could cure TB, so they would wheel the patients out on the porches so they could breathe in, again, that fresh mountain air, all the things. Mike said that he found out his house was called the Williams Cottage. He was able to find records of patients that had actually resided in his home. There were several kids, you know, men, women, and it all started to make sense. That labored breathing he would hear, 
because, you know, some patients survived, but most didn't. So Mike didn't want to stop there. So he reached out to a paranormal team, and it was a team in Ohio known as ORBS, or Ohio Researchers Banded Spirits. That's cute. <laughs> yeah. Did you create that name? It sounds like some <laughs> shit you'd create. I honestly don't know how he found them or anything, but they did come investigate. And it turns out that Buddy wasn't the only animal being messed with. Some of the other pets would bark at nothing or whimper like they were in danger. And it was always a reaction to something unseen. The group knew that children had been spotted all throughout the house, so they brought some trigger objects. That's funny because I was thinking, dang, that ball on the stairs sounds like a trigger object. Right? Well, this was crayons and Cracker Jacks. I guess they thought the kids were from 1927. Well, they were. True. (laughs) You smart ass. You think I'm smart? (laughs) So they were able to measure the temperature of the Cracker Jacks box, and it seemed like someone was holding it. The temperature would get warmer randomly. So one of the investigators were like, oh, you like the Cracker Jacks? Open the box. You can do it. And they were able to record an EVP response that just said plain as day, no. Damn. I was like, fucking kids. (laughs) Kids said, you're not the boss of me. I'm not fucking opening it. Uh Uh-huh. Not doing it. Sorry. They also captured a handprint with a thermal imaging on the wall. And they were like, that was not there before. It's not just like a grease print. And you could start to see it disappear. All of the investigators agreed that you could just sense the death that happened in the house. And they think the spirits weren't trying to scare anyone. They just wanted their presence to be known. But the crew did have a creepy moment in the basement. They said they felt the same thing as the tenants had. Someone was watching you. All the hair on their body standing up. And they were just so uneasy down there. They kept the lights on. And one time they went to unscrew the light bulb to make it darker. And they heard a disembodied voice say, there you go. Ooh. Right? Weird. That's fucking creepy. They also had good responses. Anytime they asked questions about TB and how someone died there, it was intelligently responding to them, but it was like in this high-pitched noise every time they asked a question about that, but silence every other time. So what they said is, look, you started up with the renovation. So they were like, leave the third floor untouched. Let them have their space. Man, that third floor was going to be a good apartment for somebody. (laughs) That was going to be like the penthouse. That was going to be a good moneymaker for him, damn it. Uh Uh-huh. But he was like, you know what? This is my peace offering to them. Because he would rather have tenants than just an empty apartment upstairs. And after that, the house did calm down. Mike said he thinks that the spirits just wanted their story to be known. Because he wouldn't have known all of this if he hadn't researched what's going on in my house. Also, with Orbs, they got the community together and they did like a big blessing on the house and various cottages throughout. And they said overall, like it was a better feeling after that. So this house was featured on The Haunted, which came on Animal Planet. What? Yeah. So I'm thinking because it was about like the dogs reacting. Oh, true, true, true. Yeah. But I was like, wait, what? That's something. (laughs) Yeah. And it was also on Paranormal Witness that... Uh, you can get on Peacock. I mean, I understand that you're a ghost and like you want your space and all, but that's pretty fucked up that he couldn't remodel that top floor and get some money off of that. I feel like there had to be a way. I mean, I'm sure there could have been, but he was probably at his wit's end and was like, here, I don't have to do the work. Cool. Yeah. But also, could he just not like have like in memorandum? Right. 
like, let me give you a bench in the yard or some shit. Right. Like, especially if that top floor was literally, like, the whole floor of an apartment. Like, he could have gotten bank out of that. Yeah. I'd be like, sorry, not sorry. (laughs) Fucking hammering that shit up. (laughs) Call a damn, uh, something. Priest or some shit. Well, he tried. Yeah, but go to a different diocese or something. I don't know. I don't know. I wonder if he has renovated it since then. This was in 2005, so, I mean, it's been a while. Damn near 20 years. Shit. That's crazy to think that 2005 was 20 years ago. Oh, my God. Almost. I'm still mad about the money, though. <laughs> I just picture like him like putting his life savings into this and being like, I'm going to make this house like retire with this money, you know? And then, nah, sorry about you. Like, the biggest floor in your house, you can't do shit with. Well, before I get too mad about this poor guy's money that he lost, we got to talk about care of. Care of is a subscription service that ships high quality, personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. And if you know anything about me, you know I love getting things shipped to my house. And by that, she means not having to go somewhere. Yes. To get something. It's the convenience of it. And it's the not knowing what the hell to buy. Right. Especially when it comes to vitamins. Because you literally, you go to the store and it is actually A through Z of things. And you're like, I don't even know what any of those are. Yeah. You're like, I took an A&P and I still don't know what the hell that is. No. Periodic table? So Care Of takes the guesswork out of it. You take a short but in-depth quiz about your lifestyle, your health goals, and you get a personalized doctor-backed recommendation that helps take the guesswork out of which one of those billion supplements are best for you. And something new for me is that Care Of has an app and it is free. Because there's literally an app for everything. Yes, but you can track your progress and if you track your progress and how you feel, you can earn rewards like discount and merch. It's just a better system to help you go, I want that free t-shirt, so I'm going to take my vitamins every single day. And you know, when you're consistent, you feel better. Yeah, that too. What I love about Care Of is that it comes in little bitty packets. You can take them on the go. You're not having to open 17 different bottles and go, oh, I got to take this one and this one and this one. It already comes in daily packets that are ready for you to just zip and take. And they're personalized. That's what I love. It literally says your name. And don't worry about those little packets impacting the environment because they're plant-based compostable film. And every time you get a shipment, it comes with a pamphlet that tells you what you're getting and why based on how you filled out that quiz. But just the fact that it gets shipped to you and it's personalized, I'm like, yes, please. Yes, sign me up. And I'm all about being lazy, but this is the lazy girl's way of taking care of yourself. But see, and what I like about it too is because I have one of those pill things. and it's, Pill minder. Okay. And it's AM and PM, but I don't have any PM meds. Well, some people just walk in the light. So I just make it like two weeks worth of pills so I don't have to do it every single week. But like those care of packets, I just grab one of those to take it at night so I can keep my two week pill minder thing because I like taking vitamins at night. Well, for us that have the ginormous pill minders, uh, you can just tear the packets and empty them in there. If you want to get in all of this from Care Of, you got to go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code CREEP50. That's going to give you 50% off your first order. So again, go to TakeCareOf.com, enter code CREEP50. That's T-A-K-E-C-A-R-E-O-F. Dot com, enter code CREEP50 for 50% off your first order of Care Of. 
Well, y'all know I love TikTok, and a TikToker named Trey.Allen popped up. That's how I got this story idea, because I was like, wait, do what? How do I not know this story? Okay, picture it. September 11th, 1942, Mary Beth Rowe is born in upstate New York. She's just like five years older than my dad. To the day. Uh-huh. Older? Yes, older. Don't second guess me. So I read a bunch of different accounts of her childhood. Some of it seemed very typical of the 40s, and some of it seemed like her parents weren't really there for her. Wait, was that not typical of the 40s? Touche. <laughs> so there was a point in her life when she was younger, though, that her dad was actually away fighting in World War II. And so because of that, her mom had to work outside the home, and Mary Beth was taken care of by a bunch of different relatives. So apparently at some point, one of these relatives told Mary Beth that she was not wanted. Like unplanned pregnancy, when they found it out, they wanted a boy, she was a girl, so they were like, we didn't want her anyway, kind of thing. But this really stuck with her, like really had an impact on her. And I mean, how many times growing up did we hear, you and I both, that we were unplanned pregnancies? Yes. I mean, in my family, Casey and I both were unplanned pregnancies. But my parents also weren't like, yeah, we didn't plan for you. My mom was like, yeah, we didn't plan for you, but I'm so glad I had you because my dad was sick and I think it really gave him a reason to live for two more grandbabies, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, my mom said she cried when she found out she was pregnant with me, Mm -hmm. but it's because her niece was pregnant with her first child and she's like, this is going to be my fourth child. Right. Like she was 34, Mm -hmm. I think. So, you know, she felt old then. Yeah, because her actual niece is pregnant. Yeah. So for us, I feel like it was more like, yeah, we weren't expecting it because you're the last of four kids. But like, we're happy we had you. Right. She said she saved the best for last. Okay. Do you know what? That right there explains so much about Donna, doesn't it? (laughs) I mean, I might have said, did you save the best for last? And she said yes. But, you know. No, she probably said, sure. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Whatever, Donna, sure. She did have a brother. And multiple times she told her brother, they really wanted you. They didn't want me. Whether that's true or not, that's how she felt. She felt very unwanted as a kid. She had trouble with school. Like, people that she went to school with said how moody she was. That she would always, like, lie and stuff like that. Just to exaggerate to make herself look better. I also heard it two different ways that like when she graduated high school in 1961, she wanted to go to college, but her grades weren't good enough. But I also heard it like she had good grades, but she didn't want to go to college. So I honestly, I'm not sure which one's true. But she did find work in kind of a bunch of different things like waitressing. One time she was a nursing assistant, just all kinds of different things. But after she graduated and she was working, she had moved to Schenectady, New York, and that's where she was set up on a blind date with a guy named Joseph Tenning. And they hit it off. And within two years, they were married. Now, Joseph seemed very, like, low-key. He seemed just like one to kind of sit back and let her do her thing and very much a yes man. A little bit after they were married, Mary Beth got pregnant with their first daughter, Barbara, who was born in 1967. Then shortly after that, in January of 1970, their second child, Joseph Jr., who they called Joey, was born. Both of these babies were very healthy. And there are different accounts of the type of mother that Mary Beth was. Some stuff said that she was really great with the kids. But then there were other things that said when the babies would cry and stuff, she would kind of get overwhelmed. Which I think you could do both. I completely agree. Now, I think that Mary Beth and her father had a bit of a difficult 
relationship. Some stuff said that when she was a kid and she would cry, her dad would lock her in a closet until she stopped. I don't know how true some of that abuse was. I mean, he did just fight in World War II. So, I mean, he could have some serious PTSD from that. And you get a screaming kid and he can't handle it. The loud noises, the this and that. And he's like, get the fuck out of closet until you stop. Not saying it's right, but I can also see how that would happen. But either way, I think that Mary Beth did have a relationship with her dad where she really wanted to be loved by him. You know, she was born in 1942. I mean, that's just not how people were raised. Like people, I feel like back then were not raised where their parents were these loving, doting people. It was, you are basically a small adult and you need to be seen, not heard and go play, get out of our way. So I feel like Mary Beth had a relationship where she was seeking love from her father. Don't look at me when you say that. (laughs) I mean, I I wasn't going to point a finger, but which I mean, I'm no psychologist. I just play one on the podcast, but I feel like that's why she cared for Joseph and married him because he was so just, I hate to say lackadaisical where it was like anything you want, Mary Beth. And I don't know that he was necessarily very loving, but sure, whatever you want to do is fine by me kind of guy, you know, that was seems to be opposite of her dad. But in October of 1971, Mary Beth was pregnant with her third child, Jennifer, when her dad was at work and he had a massive heart attack. She was able to go be by his side, but he ended up passing away pretty suddenly. And Mary Beth's father dying while she was pregnant really seemed to be the catalyst for what's going to happen next. It seemed to change something, to trigger something in Mary Beth. So a few months after Mary Beth's dad died, she gave birth to her third child, Jennifer. But Jennifer was born ill. It was discovered that she actually had meningitis. And that ain't no joke. No, it's not. Jennifer only lived for eight days before she passed away. Oh, gosh. So Mary Beth's dad dying, followed very quickly by the death of a child, flooded Mary Beth with sympathy and all the things that she kind of never got as a child. And unfortunately, Mary Beth really loved it. Oh, no. I thought you were going to say that it overwhelmed her because that would overwhelm me. Me too. Mary Beth was odd after Jennifer died. It was like as soon as she died, she packed up everything, like packed up her clothes, her toys, her everything. Some stuff said gave it away. Some stuff said threw it away, but got rid of it. Which people say that it's odd, but on the other side, like I can see that as a coping mechanism of like denial. So it's not healthy, but I can also see how somebody would do that. Well, and you also have people on the opposite side and that's not healthy either. Right. That like leave the room, never like leave it untouched for decades. The nurses at the hospital said that Mary Beth, again, was odd. Like, when Jennifer died, she didn't really show emotion. And some people said at the funeral, it was almost like a party. After the funeral, everybody came over for food, which, I mean, we do that in the South. But it was like a party. It wasn't, like, somber in any way. She just didn't present like a mother who had just lost a child months after her father. It's so hard because, I mean, obviously we know she's the villain in this story. It's so hard because grief is not one size fits all. For sure. And having a double whammy like that, who knows? Like I say, my body can't handle emotion. When I cry, I laugh. When I laugh, I cry. You know, like 
when you get to an extreme like that, so I can't imagine being like pressured to feel some type of way. Or act some type of way. Because two, these were basically two, not basically, they were two very traumatic deaths that happened so closely to one another. And then you think about her dad dying and her being, all those emotions with your dad dying on top of being pregnant. Yeah. And then probably trying to protect your baby so you weren't dealing with the emotions from your dad and then it all kind of comes flooding when you lose this baby eight days after it's born. You know, I cannot even imagine. And so I'm not going to try to, like you said, make her grief fit in a box or judge the way she grieved about Jennifer. I'm like, look, if someone lost their child, if they want me to throw a party and be like, woohoo, I'll do woohoo. Like, is it how I would grieve? Well, kind of, but (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's just so hard. It doesn't always have to be sad. I mean, hell, I'm standing next to my dad's dead body at his viewing and laughing sometimes. You know, it's like, it's okay to have a gamut of emotions. Yes. Sadly, only 17 days after Jennifer died, Joey, who was only two, was taken to the emergency room. Mary Beth said that he had had a seizure. Oh, gosh. So when he's in the emergency room, they check him and he doesn't have another seizure while he's there. They do all the things to check him out and they can't find anything wrong with him. So they're like, okay, you know what? It probably is some sort of viral infection. So Joseph was kept in the hospital for days and was finally discharged. Hours after he left the hospital, Mary Beth came back. She said she put him down for a nap and when she went back to check on him, he wasn't breathing. Oh my gosh. And when she found him, she said he was already blue. So the doctors looked at him when he got there and he was dead upon arrival. And they just said it had to be some sort of cardiopulmonary arrest. So Mary Beth did exactly what she did after Jennifer's death. She packed up all of Joey's stuff and got rid of it. Unfortunately, this wouldn't be the last time. Just six weeks after Joey died... Barbara, who was four, was taken to the emergency room because Mary Beth said that she too was having a seizure. Now, this is just too much of a coincidence. Right. So just like with Joey, the staff at the hospital were like, well, let's keep her for observation to see like, I mean, this basically just happened to Joey. Like, let's keep her an observer. And Mary Beth was like, no, absolutely not. What? And took Barbara home. But just like Joey... A few hours later, she comes back to the hospital with Barbara. But this time, unlike Joey, who was dead when he got there, Barbara was just unconscious. She was in a coma. They did the best that they could to keep her alive. But unfortunately, Barbara died. Now, we've got three children that have died. But, you know, remember, Jennifer died of meningitis. There was clearly multiple like lesions on her brain that showed where she was ill. But then you have these other two babies that are dying essentially the same way. Yeah. A seizure followed by death. So doctors thought that maybe the babies had Ray syndrome. Now I looked this up because I had never heard of it and I found it on the Mayo Clinic and it says basically it's this rare disorder where it can cause swelling in the brain, liver damage, and even confusion. And it usually happens after a viral infection. So something like the chicken pox or the flu. And I don't really understand the mechanics of this, but basically if they've been given aspirin, it makes it worse. Now, I don't know if either one of these kids had been given aspirin, 
basically race syndrome and SIDS, they were all kind of fairly new from what I understand at the time. It almost seems like it's a diagnosis of exclusion. It's like, we can't find an infection. We can't find anything else. We can't find a brain disorder or anything. So uh, it's got to be race, you know? Yeah. And, you know, you've heard of families where they have multiple children that die like that. And it's like, you start thinking that they have almost like a, they called it a death gene. You know, they have some sort of genetic abnormality that causes the children to die. The nurses at Ellis Hospital, where she took the babies, were like, this just feels ick. But back then, all the nurses could do was tell the doctors, like, something's not sitting right with me. You know, they didn't, from what I understand from articles, I don't know, somebody can tell me if it was different. But, you know, they weren't going to be the ones to, like, call CPS or whatever. They had to tell the doctors who then had to handle it. Well, because now we know nurses know what's up. But back then, it was like, you're just a nurse. Right. But Mary Beth and Joseph were like, we need a change of venue. This house is filled with death, all the things. So they decided to move. Not far away, just basically to another neighborhood. In what town in New York? Schenectady. So in 1973, Mary Beth gets pregnant with their fourth child. Oh, no. And, you know, she gets baby showers and basically gets all the attention that she got when the kids died. She's getting it because she's pregnant again. She later gave birth to Timothy, who was, I mean, little. He was only five pounds, but he was healthy otherwise. But unfortunately, Timothy, when he was just three weeks old, Mary Beth brought him to the hospital saying that he was unconscious when she found him in his crib and he passed away. Three weeks. And again, the doctors aren't going to question a mom Well, they don't, I mean, you understand the, I don't want to question this mom who just lost a baby. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I guess he died of SIDS, which is sudden infant death syndrome, if you've never heard of it, which is like the most terrifying thing to me because it just seems so random. And honestly, I think they know more about it now, but there's so much they don't know about what causes it. But we do know that babies who are placed like on their stomachs or sides are more at risk to die for SIDS. That's why they do the back to bed thing. Like that's like it was a big push for a long time because it reminds you lay your kid on their back to go to bed. Because if they're not able to lift their head or anything like that, then they it's more easy for them to suffocate. But things like low birth weight is a risk factor for SIDS. And Timothy was born at a low birth weight. But also babies who sleep with a lot of plushy things in their bed, like blankets, stuffed animals, all of that puts a baby at risk. But then shit, it's like, so, okay, don't put covers in the bed with them. So then you bundle them up, but then overheating can cause it. SIDS is like truly the most terrifying thing to me. Well, but even like, you know, when we were kids, they put those bumpers around the crib. So like you couldn't get your legs or your arms caught in it. And it's like, even that's a risk. You know, it's like, oh, do you want your leg to get caught in here and cut off circulation? Or do you want your baby to suffocate in it? Like, it's so fucking scary. Yes. You, well, how I think, you want something plush so your baby can lay on it and be comfortable and stuff and not like sterile. But you can't. I know. Man, kids are hard. Kids are fucking hard. Like, I, if I had a baby, I would be a nervous fucking wreck. I couldn't. No, I I would puke all the time from anxiety. I mean, I'm just thinking about Marley's bed, and I have two fluffy beds for her, but in her bed, I put an extra, like, fluffy blanket that she, like, works all around on, and it's like, but that's comfortable for her. I mean, I know she's not a baby, but I'm just thinking, I do all the wrong things, because I'd be like, oh, look at her snuggling. People weren't unaware 
of the fact that she now has four babies who have died. People were questioning things. Family members were, I feel like especially Joseph's brother and and sister-in-law, for sure the sister-in-law, she seemed to come up in a bunch of stuff that was like, she was like, this is not fucking right. But not long after Timothy died, Joseph started telling his brother his food tasted weird. Oh, shit. So they're like, you need to go get seen. And he's like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Now we would be like, do you have COVID? Right. But one night, Mary Beth called Joe's brother. I mean, I'm talking like 3.30 a.m. And she's like, oh, my God, he's dead. Like, come help quickly. And, you know, not call for an ambulance or, you know, anything like that. Calls the sister-in-law and the brother. So when they get there, they see that he is laying on the floor. He's unconscious. And Mary Beth is like completely dressed, which is weird. It's three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And she just is like bawling her eyes out. And she's like, I didn't do it. Which is, yeah, that's sketch. So they're like, "Uh, did you call the police? Did you call for an ambulance? And she's like, no. And they're like, well, go fucking call. They take Joseph to the hospital and he gets admitted. Turns out he had basically enough to kill him barbiturates in his system. Oh, shit. Now, the sister-in-law and the brother had a child with special needs that I guess Mary Beth had gone. I only heard this on one podcast I listened to that Mary Beth had like gone to get the prescriptions for that kid. He takes barbiturates. And so like basically she like stole like 72 pills or something like that from From this kid. kid. Mm -hmm. And that's what she poisoned Joseph with. But Joseph would not press charges. I thought you were going to say Joseph would not die. (laughs) Oh, I mean, he didn't. But I mean, because that really was enough to kill him, but he didn't die. And I'm wondering since a couple of times that his food tasted weird, I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if he had built up a little bit of a tolerance. But either way, he lived, he moved back in with her. He refused to press charges. It was just a sweep it under the rug type thing. That ain't my bag. I could not do that. Right. And people said that Joseph, with all of these kids that have died, like they said that he never seemed super upset. Like he just was, I don't even want to say stoic because that sounds more like strong. strong. And he was, he seemed more docile. That's the only word I can think of. Kind of like unaffected. Yeah. But like he wore the same exact suit to every funeral. Like it was like his funeral suit. And then. that's not bad. And then during the visitation wake, he just kind of sat there. Didn't talk, didn't show any emotions. But again, you know, you can see the flip side of that yeah. and going, yeah, his fucking child just died. Yeah, he doesn't want to entertain you. Yeah. Let his wife, who's getting all the fucking attention, let her do that. Yes. But after, essentially, Mary Beth poisoned Joseph, she got pregnant again with their fifth child and in 1975 gave birth to Nathan. If that's not true that guys love toxic girls, <laughs> good Lord. And everybody's like, why are you still having kids yes. when you have this like, quote, death gene that they can't figure out what's causing your kids to die? Right. Why are you still having kids? Like, get your fucking tubes tied. Let him get a vasectomy, whatever. And she was basically like, I'm a woman. This is what I'm supposed to do. It should be said, too, that there were a couple of hospitals in the area, and so she would take the kids to different ones. But, like, the nurses and stuff knew who she was. And when she had Nathan, they were like, yeah, you need to go home with, like, a sleep apnea monitor. Now, some stuff I saw said that she refused to go home with the sleep apnea monitor. Now, you know how I told you that she worked as a waitress? So about four or five months after Nathan was born, Mary Beth gets to the restaurant where she had worked, and she tells these coworkers, like, Nathan stopped breathing in the car. Like, he's like, he brings in his lifeless body into this restaurant. What? And is like, he stopped breathing in the car. And they're like, oh my God, like, go to the fucking hospital. 
she basically bypassed Ellis Hospital to take him to St. Clair's, which is weird. Like, why would you pass, basically pass a hospital that's closer to you to go to another hospital? Yeah, and she had been to that hospital before. That's where she worked. That's where she'd taken Uh multiple kids. That's where I think she had even given birth. Like, this was a hospital that was very well known to her. And unfortunately, Nathan was dead on arrival. But the doctor said he died of SIDS, just like his siblings. I mean, that's just not possible, right? I heard this quote on a couple of different podcasts I listened to about it, and I saw it in a couple other things, and it was by Dr. Roy Meadow. He said, one sudden infant death is a tragedy, two is suspicious, and three is murder until proven otherwise. Damn. Also, it should be noted that Mary Beth had life insurance on all of these kids. What? So she was getting a check every single time one of her kids died. Yeah. She was getting a check. She was getting showered with love and affection from people because she had another child who died. So some stuff said that her sister-in-law and brother-in-law that had the child with a disability, they decided to adopt for their second child. Well, it said that basically Mary Beth got jealous of the attention that they got for adopting. So she decided that they wanted to adopt as well. Oh my gosh. Now, people you would think would be like, you've had, what, five kids at this point that have died? Like, this is so sketch. But really, it was the opposite. It was like the agencies felt sorry for her. Like, oh my God, you've had five kids that have died. Like, let us help you have a baby. You know, get a a child. They ended up getting a 10-year-old little girl. And it said that Joseph and the little girl were very close. Like, they they bonded. They were really attached to each other. Well, and I'm thinking, she's 10, so you're not so scared of, like, SIDS, SIDS and exactly. all that. And it's not your biological child. So if you really do have this death gene, mm-hmm. then this child is safe from that. Right. So you are free to love them because you're not holding back out of fear of losing them. Right. Well, while they had this little girl, Mary Beth got pregnant again. Basically, they say that Mary Beth was jealous of the attention that Joseph was giving the little girl, so she got pregnant again. And once she got pregnant, she sent the little girl back. What? Yeah. Oh my God, I hate Mary Beth. Then, this is what I understand. She was so jealous of the little girl that she sent her back. And then they adopted, in August of 78, a little boy. And he was a baby. His name was Michael. If you send a child back, how are you going to adopt another one? Because it's 1978, and I don't know. After they adopted Michael, she gave birth to their seventh child, Mary Frances. And basically, once she had Mary Frances, she could give two shits about Michael at that point. Of course. She had had her baby and be gone Michael kind of thing. But just a few months after Mary Frances was born, same story. Mary Beth took her to the emergency room saying that she had had a seizure. They were able to perform like emergency resuscitation and bring her back. She was discharged from the hospital and just a month later, Mary Beth brought Mary Frances back in full cardiac arrest again. They revived her, but this time she had some brain damage that was irreversible. They put her on life support, and just a couple of days later, they decided to take Mary Frances off life support, and she passed as well. Not long after this, Mary Beth got pregnant and had her eighth child, Jonathan. The fuck? And unfortunately, Jonathan met the same fate. In March of 1980, she took him to St. Clair's Hospital. Same thing, unconscious. They revived him. But this time, they were like, look, 
we got him alive, but we're sending him to Boston Hospital, like, for kids, basically, for some testing. Like, clearly, don't know what we're doing. You know, that's how they felt. So, we're going to send him to Boston so that they can see what's going on. And he was taken to Boston, was seen. They were like, there's literally nothing wrong with this baby. He's a perfectly healthy baby. There's no reason for him to have stopped breathing. So, he was discharged home. Just a couple of days later, in March of 1980, Mary Beth brought Jonathan back to the hospital for same thing, stopped breathing. He was found to be, just like Mary Frances, had irreversible brain damage that they kept him on life support for four weeks, but he ended up passing as well. So people are like, either she is truly the most unlucky person on the planet, and they really do have this unknown like death gene that we can't figure out, or like, there's some shit happening at this house. Right. But the problem was there were never any autopsies performed on these babies. Like, even if they called the medical examiner, like, it was just a lack of communication across the board. The hospitals weren't communicating with each other. The medical examiner was supposed to have reported something to his superior that didn't get reported. Like, it was just this lack of communication across the board. Because who wants to believe a mother's going to hurt their child? So people were like, it's got to be a death gene. That was until March of 1981 when Mary Beth took Michael to the doctor. And remember, Michael was adopted. Yeah. This is what happened, though. Mary Beth called the doctor that morning. You know, oh, it opens up at 8. Hey, uh, Michael's sick. Can I bring him in today? And they're like, yeah, we got an appointment at 10. Mary Beth shows up to the doctor's appointment frantic, saying that she couldn't wake him up that morning. He said he was sick. Exactly. And when he gets to the doctor's appointment, he had already passed away. Oh my gosh. Here's the problem. They lived across the street from a hospital. Oh no. Okay. Not only did they live across the street from the hospital and she didn't go there, she like called and made an appointment and then took him in. Yeah. What? You can't rouse him up and you're like, oh, let me go to emergency care. Right. And not even emergency care. Right. Yeah. Let me just go to just his regular pediatrician. Wow. So people were like, ooh. Okay, like, you know, we were trying to be supportive and not being, I mean, we're suspicious, but we're trying to be supportive, thinking maybe it really is this mm-hmm. gene. But, like, this ha- baby has different genes. Yeah. Like, this is not a biological child. And it's the same story. It's always either they had a seizure or they tangled up in their blankets. And when she went to check on them from their nap, they were blue. Right. But still nothing was done. What? Are you fucking kidding me? And Mary Beth gets pregnant with her no. ninth child ninth child she has a baby born august of 1985 named tammy lynn oh tammy had the best birthday remember mary beth used to be a nursing assistant Mm -hmm. like so she's got to be like cpr certified but she had a neighbor across the street named cynthia and cynthia i believe was a nurse and one day she called cynthia this was just december so just a few months after tammy lynn was born she called cynthia and is like freaking out because she said that Tammy Lynn wasn't breathing, wouldn't respond, and she's turning purple. So Cynthia gets over there and is like, what the fuck? You haven't started chest compression? Like, you've not started any life-saving measures? Like, you should know these things. You're a fucking nursing assistant. Cynthia starts CPR on her and is like, uh, call the fucking ambulance. Like, are you kidding me? You haven't called for anybody? 
So the ambulance comes, and unfortunately, Tammy Lynn was pronounced dead on arrival as well. Oh my gosh. Same story. They said that she had gotten tangled up in her blankets and couldn't breathe. All of these times that these babies have passed away, either Mary Beth was there by herself, or it was in the dead of night when Joseph was asleep. She was always the only one that saw them have the seizure, and then when they get to the hospital, there was no evidence of any seizure activity. Yeah. People were like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Not like, this is really getting sketch. Like, and again, after Tammy Lynn died, Cynthia said that one day she stopped by to just be like, hey, you know, I'm so sorry about your loss. And she said that they were just eating breakfast calmly, just seemed so unconcerned, which again oh to me God. is yeah. like, well, they, they got to fucking eat. Like, do you want them to just sob all the time? You know, if if nothing really is sketch going on here, this is like their ninth child to die. Like, yeah, they are fucking numb, you know? Right. So, like, let's put a little perspective on this. Also, they're just eating breakfast. Right. Like, what do you want them to do? Literally sob in their Cheerios? <laughs> like, I don't under... I mean, like, yeah, it's okay to have moments where you don't cry. But the difference was Tammy Lynn did have an autopsy and they couldn't find anything. They just said that she died of SIDS like some of her other siblings. Some of, yeah. Police are getting involved at this point. Like they're like, is it possible to have this many kids die from SIDS? From this unexplained death? And I feel like if it is, like if that really is... I mean, you can't make someone have a surgical procedure, but it's like, you know that this is going to happen. I I was thinking that the same thing, because it's like, we can't tell people what to do with their bodies, and we shouldn't be allowed to. Right. But like, at what point, because you know, doctors can fire patients, and like, one of her OBGYNs fired her, because they were like, you need to get your tubes tied. Yeah. And she refused. And so... They were like, well, we're not going to see you anymore. Like, I'm, yeah. we're not going to then. You know, I'm not going to assist you continue to have kids who are just going to pass away. Right. And these awful deaths. I mean, literally suffocating. Ugh. And they all died of these like weird, you know, like I said, a seizure when nobody's present. They died tangled up in their, it was always tangled up in their blankets. You know, all of them. Stop putting a blanket on them. Right. And all of them with the exception of Jennifer who had died of meningitis. I don't know how true this is. Oh, God. But allegedly, Mary Beth did tell a nurse at her OBGYN appointment that she tried to induce labor early with Jennifer because she wanted to have her on Christmas Day because she thought that would make her dad happy who had just passed. Oh, gosh. And now this is brutal. So please skip for. I mean, this whole thing is fucking brutal, but this is real bad. Is it a clothes hanger? Yes. Oh, no. And that the fact that she had those spots on her brain. Uh-huh. I don't know that that's like 100% proven, but like, a, you know, people were like, it looked like sh- that's what had happened. Yeah. And that she had introduced that infection. So in February of 1986, police bring Mary Beth in for questioning. They questioned her for hours. Until she finally said that she killed Tammy Lynn, Nathan, and Timothy. She said that she smothered them with a pillow because she wasn't a good mother. She refused to admit that she had killed the other kids. Why, like, why admit to the three and uh-huh. not the rest of them? Especially fucking Michael, who's not biological. Yeah. Like, clearly you killed him. But Mary Beth confessed, and she ended up going to trial for second-degree murder. She tried to recant her confession. They were only able to charge her with Tammy Lynn's death because they didn't have evidence for any of the others because there were no autopsies performed. So they tried to exhume three of the kids. They ended up exhuming a wrong body. What? Because 
like there was some confusion over where the graves were or something and they exhumed another body oh my gosh but the two bodies that they did exhume basically they were so decomposed they couldn't tell anything now i did see in one article where it said that with sids that babies don't turn blue like her kids had I don't know how true that is. I just saw that in one place. So if you're a nurse and you know, or doctor or anything, and you know anything about that, let us know if that's actually true. But you know, if there's, she was strangling them with a pillow, don't you get the petechiae on your eyes that's what I was thinking. from that? But you know that girl that um, Candace DeLong that's on all of those like killer women and stuff on ID. She's the got the real pretty blue eyes with the dark hair. FBI profiler that was also used to be a psychiatric nurse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she has a podcast called Killer Psyche. And also, let me just tell you too, um, I listened to Gruesome about it and I listened to Straight Up Evil about, those were the three main podcasts I listened to about this. But anyway, she was saying how, you know, that the baby's airways are so tiny that it doesn't take much to collapse them. So maybe they don't get that because it does, I mean, this is, sorry, this is so graphic, but they do collapse so quickly that they don't have those same reactions as an adult body that would be yeah. suffocated. I, I don't know. And maybe the physicians and stuff weren't looking for that because it was a mom who just lost her baby, you know? And she was going to different hospitals. I mean, this was just a clusterfuck. Yeah. And from what I understand, CPS was involved with different deaths. So I just don't understand how this was missed. Right. But she went to trial and was eventually convicted of second degree murder. She was sentenced to 20 years to life. Basically, the why is people think that she had factitious disorder imposed on another, which used to be called Munchausen syndrome by proxy. She liked the attention that came with the deaths. She liked the sympathy. She liked the all the things that came about with, because you know how I told you she was throwing all the stuff away, so then she'd get a shower so she could replace all the things. And then, you know, again, she got so much sympathy and love when one of the babies would die she continued to murder her children instead of doing like a dd blanchard where she's keeping gypsy rose sick Uh you know she would just murder her children for the sympathy versus keeping them ill for the sympathy yeah and she was in prison for about 30 years after like six different parole denials she was finally released what and Guess who picked her up? Joseph. Yep, her husband. Yep, he picked her up and they're, by all accounts, still living. Like, she has to be monitored and she had to go to, like, different counseling and all that. Like, there were stipulations on her release, but yeah, she's released. Are you fucking kidding me? Nope. I mean, she served 30 years, but... She's a serial killer! Literally, of infants. And, you know, because her neighbors and stuff would get suspicious, but they moved. Like, after a baby or two would die, I know that that sounds so cavalier to say it that way, but they would move houses. They weren't, like, moving states. They were moving neighborhoods, but it would keep people from questioning as much. Yeah. Candace DeLong really went into a lot about factitious disorder imposed on another FDIA is what it acronym. She really went into that and how like people who do that also sometimes tend to think that they're smarter. Like they get basically like a power trip being Mm -hmm. like, hey, I tricked this doctor who is deemed by society to be smarter than me. And so they get a thrill out of tricking people. And she said that basically with Mary Beth, she may not have believed that she was smart enough to kind of keep up the ruse of tricking them. And so that's why she'd kill them, not, again, like a Dee Dee Blanchard, keep her sick. 
gosh. I, I don't know. You know how you always focus on the money part of it? Mm-hmm. I'm like, the doctor bills, going to that, like, the specialized clinic. Well, and then also, like, sometimes it's the insurance company that's like, wait, this there's a pattern uh-huh. here. Like, something's happening. Like, their barn keeps burning down. Like, right. this is suspicious. And, like, we're not paying this claim, you know? Yeah. And, and it kind of launches investigations. Like, I'm surprised that an insurance company wasn't, like, nine times. Right. You know, because even, like, you know, with some insurances, if you have a pre-existing condition or whatever, yeah. and it's like, okay, if you have this death alleged gene. death gene that you can't figure out, we're not going to insure your child. Right. I feel so sorry for the little girl that was returned, but also, if she knows this story, she's probably like, thank God she returned me. Oh my God. Can you imagine? I also, shame on you, Joseph. Yes. Because even if you didn't know what's going on, because he basically said, like, basically, like, I choose to believe that she didn't do this. Like, I, I choose oh my to, God. Or, no, I, can't, I forgot the quote. It was like something like, I choose to trust my wife or something like that. And it's like, okay, even I if, wouldn't because she fucking poisoned you. She literally tried to kill you, first of all. Like, why would you continue having kids then if you're like, I'm a bad mom? Well, and that's the thing, too, is it's like, for her, it was a psychological disorder. Yes, I mean, yes. But I can't remember which one it was, but on one of the podcasts, they said that, I think it was when Cynthia came over, that he was just, like, standing in the corner, like, shaking his head, like, almost like, again, she did it again. You know, yeah. it's like, there's no way he didn't know. No. And to me, he is just as culpable as her. 100%. At the very least, accessory, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. And it, again, you cannot tell people what to do with their bodies, but like, at what point is it like, stop fucking having kids? Well, it's like, okay, if something like that was happening, like, I can't have that loss anymore. No. I can't be responsible for someone's death. You know, it's happened seven times. So it's not like, oh, well, one child died. Like, that doesn't necessarily, no, no, no. This is happening. Mm-hmm. I'm going to end this. If I was Joseph or Joe, whatever. I would have gotten a vasectomy. I know. How can you live with yourself? Yeah. Even if you thought they were dying by biological reasons, natural causes, why didn't you stop Mm -hmm. having kids? Like, I know. Oh my God, that just breaks my heart. And then this is what makes me so mad that someone like them can get pregnant fucking nine times and they don't even, like, she's killing her kids. She doesn't want them. I know. And then people have, you know, they struggle with fertility all their life. I know. That's not fair. It's, it's really not. I know. I thought the same thing. I was like, as I was listening and reading everything, like, in my head, like, jokingly to make lighter of it, I'm like, she is, like, abnormally fertile. Yes. I just feel so so sorry for the ramifications for even, like, the family and the friends and all that who, like, thought something was wrong and you know, may have even reported stuff. Oh, I did hear where, like, basically this sister-in-law was so no-nonsense that she would, like, confronted her and was like, you need help, you need, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, you're right, I do. And so they took her to the emergency room to, like, get help, get admitted. They waited and waited and waited. I'm like, man, they're taking forever to see her back there. And when they went to check on her, uh, no, she had just ditched them. What? Yeah, like never got seen. Just was like, okay, I'm going to go in here and get seen. And like was like, and I oop out the door. What? Oh, my God. All of our behavior was sketch. Uh-huh. This story is just so not fair to me. No, it's not. By all accounts. Like the fact that people at the hospitals knew that something was up. This story was a clusterfuck. It was. Everything that you're like, 
oh, she can't possibly do it again. No, she did. The number of times that she got, like, every time I was like, and she got pregnant again, I was like, are you fucking serious? Right. I don't know how she wanted to be pregnant so much. This happened essentially over like a 14, 15 year span. So she was pregnant like every other year. Sometimes it was every year she was pregnant. Like some of them were born very close together. Well, hate her. I feel like justice was not served. Yeah, I don't I don't see how she got out. I think she got in like 2018. Well, thanks for ruining my day. You're welcome. Hopefully y'all enjoyed question mark this episode. Thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us. Don't forget to like, review, and subscribe, all the things, and remember. Creep it real and and don't get scared. scared.